Welcome to the Chiropractic United podcast for May 24th, 2011. This podcast is brought to you by CBP Seminars. Visit our site at www.idealspine.com. Also brought to you by Dr. Fred DiDomenico of Elite Coaching, www.elitecoachingllc.com. And further, brought to you by Posturco.com, makers of the Posturay X-ray digitizing software known as Posturay and a posture screening app on the iPhone, iPad, and the iPod Touch. Visit posturco.com. Now, let's get started. Okay, welcome everybody, all the listeners out there to the Chiropractic United podcast. This is our podcast for the week of May uh, 2023rd, and it's actually Tuesday night, May 24th. Uh, Everybody should know what Chiropractic United is. Uh, We're online at www.chiropracticunited.com. And, of course, our podcasts are on iTunes under Chiropractic Biophysics iTunes, uh, or under uh, Chiropractic United, uh, excuse me, podcasts. Uh, This week we have uh, Dr. Fred DiDomenico from Elite Coaching and Dr. Kelly from CBP Seminars and Posture Co., as usual, but our special guest tonight is Dr. Steve Welsh from the ICA. So welcome, everybody. Welcome, Steve. Yo, yo, here we are. So, uh, Dr. Steve, real quick, can you just affiliation with the ICA, please? All right. Uh, at the current time, the uh, secretary-treasurer, and I have for two years, have been on the board for four years, and um, uh, and have been uh, the ICA delegate to the World Federation of Chiropractic since 2005, and I also have been the ICA delegate to the uh, to the summit process, uh, and have been at uh, every meet. Being since the first one that the ICA was invited to, which was Summit 2, uh, and I think we're heading up to our 13th Summit meeting uh, come June 2nd. So I've been very uh, active, uh, if you want to call it politically, and, and involved in trying to, um, uh, you might say, help keep this profession from, um, from heading off in a completely wrong direction. Well, which unfortunately, a few folks seem to, to, to want to push us that way. Yeah, that's correct, and uh, and we sure appreciate everything you've done, Steve. And I, I, I know your involvement with the ICA. We've we've uh, known each other for some time, and I know you've uh, worked with my father and have known my father over the years. Uh, I personally, myself, I'm a lifetime ICA member, uh, and that was not uh, a light choice. In fact, for the first several years of my practice career, I was what we call a no CA. I just I didn't belong to anything. Uh, but I, I changed my position and stance on it when uh, I saw what the ICA was willing to do with porting and endorsing and uh, getting behind proper uh, guidelines for the entire profession. And those guidelines were the ICA best practices and the ICA x-ray guidelines, the PCCRP guidelines. So uh, first of all, before we get in there, I'd like to say to all the listeners out there, you should strongly consider joining the ICA if, uh, if you're not already a member. And if you're not going to join the ICA, then you've got to consider joining some internet or yeah, some national association that represents your views on, on chiropractic from a political research and technique side. So uh, that being said, Dr. Joe, Dr. Fred, are you uh, ICA members yourselves? Yeah, I've been a member uh, for quite some time. Actually, I think I may have been a member before you because your dad told me that I have no choice. I have to join the ICA even before I knew 
you know, as a student, what was going on. You know, I didn't know much. I had my head in the sand. He said, look, you know, you, you have to join the ICA. It's the only voice out there for our type of subluxation-based chiropractic. And so I've been a member since. Right. I've always been an ICA member all through practice. Uh, when I quit practicing and start coaching, I let that lapse, and I need to get back into it. Well, we'll so, but I've been. Uh, go ahead. I've always supported ICA since the 1980s, I think, early 1990s. Yeah, well, we appreciate that, Fred. We won't hold it against you that when you got out of practice, you didn't support it. But but now everybody's listening, so we'll we'll see if we can get you to be a member. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> bit of responsibility there, don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> um, so the the main for the listeners out there, the main purpose of this particular podcast is to discuss some uh, of the recent in the last couple years. Uh, I'll say the attack on vertebral subluxation in chiropractic from the political education and research arena. And we all, we've heard the, the last week's podcast where we discussed the FCLB, James Winterstein, uh, almost key, keynote presentation, if you will, on abandonment of subluxation and the term and the tenants involved with that uh, and abandonment of chiropractic philosophy as part of our educational requirements uh, so we can move into mainstream medicine and be accepted as real doctors. So we want to continue this particular discussion, but by bringing in the ICA, which is really a spearhead for this particular topic in the profession, to see you know how we can, uh, as a group, overcome these issues that we're facing today. So, uh, Dr. Dr. Steve, first, let's. Uh, can I get your thoughts on? We'll start with the CCE, and we'll start with. Uh, you representing the ICA views on the recent things with the CCE trying to remove uh, from chiropractic the word subluxation and the the words without the use of drugs and surgery that, to describe our profession. So can you give us the ICA's views on that? Uh, the, uh, the ICA is uh, extremely concerned with the direction that the CCE has taken. Um, what they've done, and it's not a matter of they're going to. Uh, I attended the meeting in January uh, when they voted and approved the final uh, the, uh, the final proposal for the new educational standards that will take effect beginning in January in 2012. Now, the ICA, uh, during the comment period, uh, had basically... Uh, made the profession aware of, of four key factors and critical issues that were uh, present in the, the proposed changes in the second draft and generated about 4,000 comments, which was unheard of uh, in the history of CCE. Typically, if they get 100 uh, comments on, on proposed changes uh, when they go through this process, it's considered a lot. Uh, so 4,000 was significant. Uh, in this particular case, for the first time, CCE had uh, had formed a, a pretty good cross-section of the profession into a uh, task force uh, and, and who was uh, given the responsibility to draft the standards. Uh, they had a meeting in December, reviewed the 4,000 comments, and made some changes. And one of the changes that they made was they added the concept of the subluxation back into the educational standards. 
unfortunately, they did not add back in the concept of, uh, of uh, being drug-free and surgery-free, which, which the ICA considers very problematic. Unfortunately, when that document was put forth before the entire council, um, I sat there in utter amazement, okay, as, as motions were made to basically delete a sentence here, delete a sentence here, modify a word here. And in one case, the one, the one sentence that included the, uh, the reference to the subluxation and the standards, uh, one gentleman made a motion to delete that sentence. There was no discussion. The hands went up and it was gone. It was got, it took about 30 seconds. Sure. So, so this concept, okay, that a, uh, a, a true democratic process was followed and that the, uh, and that the uh, chiropractic community as a whole was listened to, uh, at this point, looks a little questionable. Yep. So it's a done deal. As far as the CC is concerned, uh, the word subluxation does not in, exist in the standards themselves. Wow. I mean, that's... <clears throat> That's a shock, and you know, I, I myself didn't know that. I knew the things leading up to this, but I didn't know that that was already approved and that they've uh, decided to change that. So, uh, it, it, before I ask another question, uh, Dr. Joe, Dr. Fred, do you have anything you'd like to say? Yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, what's what's amazing to me, and you know, first of all, you know, the practitioners in the field, they just don't understand what's going on. There's no way a majority of the profession knows what's going on. When we see, you know, surveys that are going out, and just if you're on Facebook, anybody that's on Facebook knows that we're not representing what's going on. I mean, I have thousands of friends on Facebook, and none of them are, are for what's going on here. So it's like the CCE is such a small voice, and yet they're controlling so much of the direction of the profession, which is not where the profession wants to go. And it's almost reminiscent of like when I was talking to your dad, D, many years ago. It's like, why do we have to have the CCE? Why can't we band together and just get form another organization and have chiropractors that, you know, a chiropractic education controlled by people that really have the best interests of chiropractic at heart, you know? And, uh, you know, that was something that I, I just, it just baffles me on how something like that can occur when it's not representative of the whole uh, society of our profession. Yeah. By the way, whose phone was that? That, that was a donation to CBP Nonprofit. Right, I was. I forgot to say that's an automatic $100 donation to CBP Nonprofit or the ICA. I think it was Fred. I think it was Fred's uh, phone, though. That sounded like an iPhone ring. Yeah, yeah it was. <laughs> so, so I have a comment on that. You know, it's amazing how fast, like you said, in 30 seconds, it's gone, and the definition changes. I'm just curious, like, what's the motivation? Because if that's what they're going to teach in schools, then what chiropractors are going to donate money? Because I'm not going to donate money to a school that won't allow them to say that word or changes is attempting to change the definition. I mean, it's almost like the CCE controls or determines the education, yet they're shooting themselves in the foot and separating themselves from the rest of the profession. All right. Well, let me, let me explain a little bit. And, um, and, and to a degree, um, I, I mean, I sat there and I watched a lot of these folks and I've talked uh, to a number of them, uh, particularly some of them that were serving on the task force. And about four or five years ago, uh, there was an honest effort to say, you know, 
our standards are a little antiquated. They really need to, to be cleaned up from an educational point of view. And they set off with a what I thought was a reasonable objective. And their objective was to give a little bit more flexibility and a little bit more latitude to the educational institutions themselves and to create a set of standards that weren't quite as prescriptive as you need to have 20 new patients and 20 sets of x-rays and 200 visits, et cetera. And the thinking was the students are too focused on the number of adjustments and not, not focused on the quality of the experience, the learning experience, and, and actually uh, getting educated and becoming proficient. So the theory was we want a set of standards that are less prescriptive and there's more latitude for the institutions, okay, to define how they're going to measure those competencies themselves. So actually, the objective was fine. The problem is in implementing that objective, okay, and it didn't become apparent until the, uh, the second draft. Uh, the ICA reviewed the first draft, and, and there, there were some concerns, but they were mild concerns, and, uh, and we provided some feedback, uh, and then when we got the second draft, it was like 10 giant steps backwards and far worse uh, than we could ever have imagined. The entire concept in the introduction of having a drug-free uh, profession was completely omitted. The whole purpose of the chiropractic education was omitted. Okay, much of the chiropractic specific requirements for education were gone. They were basically left up to the institutions. And so uh, that's when we generated the concern. That's when we uh, set out the alerts. And that's when we, we kind of got active in letting the profession know this is what's going on. Take a look at it yourself. This is how you comment. And that generated about 4,000 comments. Uh, and and, you know, there are a number of folks on that council that really believe that they're doing the right thing for the profession. Okay. Unfortunately, um, I believe, okay, they've been sandbagged by some of the same thinking, okay, uh, that was reflected in Dr. Winterstein's speech, okay, that I'm quite frankly getting a little bit tired of hearing the same old garbage for the last 20 or 30 years of how the sub subluxation is not scientific and we need to be evidence-based and we need to get rid of the dogma. Um, it's getting old. Yeah. You know, the, fact, the fact of the matter is uh, one could argue, okay, that the, uh, uh, that the um, adherence to the mechanistic model of reality is far more dogmatic, okay, than the principles that the uh, chiropractic uh, profession have been founded upon uh, that, in my opinion, D.D. Palmer was uh, like 300 years ahead of his time. I mean, if you study quantum physics, okay, and you really begun to understand some of the uh, uniqueness of, about our existence, that is not accurately reflected in the mechanistic model that the medical uh, uh, model is founded upon, uh, it's very easily easy to become convinced, as I am, uh, that there's a greater scientific foundation for traditional chiropractic than there is for medicine. Yep. I guess it's all how you yep. look at it. Yeah, and, and you know what? We, we agree with that uh, statement, Steve, and I, I'm sure most of our, our listeners do as well. And the big issue for me 
that I, I want to hear the ICA's position on this one and even your personal views on this, because I, I don't know if, if we can answer this particular line of questioning that I'm about to propose with just the ICA's view. So uh, I'd like you to address this from two positions, the ICA stance and then your personal thoughts on it. And it, it goes like this. Well, since the CCE has uh, approved the removal of vertebral subluxation from the standards of professional education. The schools then, what, what is this going to mean to the schools? Are they going to be required to remove subluxation principles and education from the, the undergraduate coursework that these students are pursuing, or excuse me, the graduate uh, coursework that they're pursuing? And, and what will this mean basically from the educational arena. And then the second one is really a statement. It, it can't be that easy of a task to just change over 100 years of history. Every research article, every textbook, et cetera, has subluxation in it, including the four textbooks that I've written uh, with my colleagues and co-authors. So removing this term and entity it cannot be an easy task, and uh, it's like all the textbooks would need to be rewritten, but then the professional education standards at the college level would need to change. So is this going to happen? All right. Uh, first, let me address um, a misconception. Uh, the fact that subluxation was removed from the specific standards uh, does not mean that the colleges and the educational institutions themselves have to change what they're teaching. That's number one. Okay, all it means is they don't have to teach it. They can if they want to. Okay, if you look at, and, and the, uh, one of the concerns that I have as I reviewed the standards, okay, was if you really look at what's in the standards, there is no requirement for a student, and I say requirement, for a student to demonstrate a proficiency in taking and analyzing x-rays, and there isn't even a requirement for a student to demonstrate proficiency in performing a chiropractic adjustment, believe it or not. Okay, if you look at the standards, they've basically taken about 20-some-odd pages of detail requirements in the clinical requirements that were in the 2007 version, which was the latest prior to the new one that becomes effective in 2012, and they've reduced the clinical requirements down to a, a group of uh, general metacompetencies, which are described in probably less than a page. So yeah, they, they define the fact that you need uh, to educate the students on how to do an exam and how to, how to do a diagnosis. Okay, but then they say all you need to have the, the student demonstrate is the ability to, to perform a treatment plan. Now, a treatment plan is very broad. Now, in some colleges, a treatment plan is going to be the traditional. We're going to adjust that patient. We're going to correct the subluxation, uh, and we're going to monitor the results. Okay, but in other institutions, they can very easily not even teach the adjustment and teach a more medicine approach to treating uh, neuromuscular conditions and still be technically, okay, meeting the standards. So the, pro the question becomes, okay, what is unique about the standards effective 2012 that make them chiropractic? Because the fact of the matter is they're really just general educational standards for a healthcare discipline, period. 
Okay, so that's what the concern is, because how do you maintain some semblance of consistency on what new students are being taught about chiropractic and what it is when all of a sudden the institutions have complete freedom to define for themselves what chiropractic is going to be in terms of how they teach it? And, that what's, and then when you listen to the speech that was given by, uh, uh, by the uh, president of National, Dr. Winterstein, okay, that's when you realize basically the CCE is opening the door, okay, for him, okay, to move his educational curriculum a lot further towards medicine and including drug therapy as part of chiropractic and still be able to claim that he's meeting the CCE standards, okay, because he's, he's teaching diagnosis, he's teaching a assessment of the neuromuscular conditions, and he's teaching a treatment plan. So yeah. it's basically wide open. So they're just losing specificity. It's like everybody has the right to make their own rules. Right. So, this, so then over time, you know, we'll have some of the, uh, the traditional colleges, the Life's, the Life West, uh, the Palmas, uh, the Clevelands, et cetera. They'll still be teaching the subluxation. Okay. But, uh, I mean, I'm not sure they teach the subluxation now at National, to be honest with you. Okay. Based upon uh, what I've read and what I've heard. Okay. Other than uh, to meet, as he said in his speech, to satisfy the requirement, okay, of Medicare. Yeah. So now, Steve, this particular statement, and I, I appreciate that. That was very well said, and I think that's important to, to understand. Here, here's my main concern, and, and this is Deed Harrison speaking. And I would like your comments, not, not the ICAs on this one. So I want your personal perspective from Steve Welsh on what I'm about to say. I, I agree with what you've just said. My, my concern is this. As soon as the CCE rewrites the standards, what happens is because they have so much political power and financial authority over what the colleges do, they then go and they, they put these standards on the chiropractic educational institutes, and the, the colleges have no choice but to follow them. And I'm speaking from personal experience, and I won't name the individuals involved or the colleges, but for example, on the x-ray issue, we've seen a dramatic shift in the x-ray issue in chiropractic educational institutes in the last five years. Every college that has had a CCE site team visit in the last five years has had to dramatically reduce their x-ray utilization rates on incoming students and incoming new patients. And these were the guidelines that came out in 2008 and 2009 uh, out of Canada and New York. So these were guidelines spearheaded by a small group of chiropractors. They, they were being used by the CCE, we found out, at a couple site team members, and I can't name names or get into specifics, and I'm sure I'm going to get a letter from the CCE like my dad did on this when he put it in our journal a couple years ago. But they, they started pushing these x-ray guidelines on, on the colleges when they were nothing more than professional standards like we're talking about here with the subluxation. So in my view, I think that 
what you said politically is correct, but I fear that the CCE is now going to go to the schools and say, you will stop teaching subluxation in your curriculum because it's not part of our professional standards or else we will not approve your reaccreditation for the next whatever years or we'll put you on probation. Yep. And, and this is what happened, you know, at Life University when Sid refused to comply and on and on. So that that's my personal opinion of this, Steve, and I'd like your personal opinion, not the ICAs. That's a tough one to answer because in theory – uh, by definition, uh, the CCE has stated the intention okay, to give more flexibility and freedom to each of the institutions to define their program. Okay, now, what they may do okay, is they may, they may begin demanding. Oh, you guys still there? Hello? Uh, uh, goes back to the situation in 2002 with life. Um, the site visitation teams have a lot of latitude to apply their own personal interpretations of what's expected. Okay? And, and because it's all secret and because it's not public and because nobody else knows what's really going on, uh, the schools can be put under an awful lot of pressure okay, to, to basically accommodate uh, the wishes of, of the CCE as being expressed through the site visitation teams. So you are correct. It is a concern. Yeah. Okay, Dr. Joe and Dr. Fred, thoughts? Well, you know, I just thoughts. I, you know, I can't name names either, but, you know, I've been around the, some of the same people you have, Deed, and they've told us on a side that basically the screws are being put to them, that they can't do what they need to do for their schools and for their, their students, and if they don't comply, the school is in trouble. And, um, you know, and this is countless uh, schools that we've had, you know, meetings with as far as like at big associations, you talk, people talk and some of these higher ups, we hear these things that, you know, they got, you know, in this, the general population of chiropractors doesn't realize the pressure that's being put on them. And, you know, Deed and I and Fred, when we're at seminars and when you ask the, the, the new students, anybody who's graduated the last five years, how many people have had routine x-rays of their patients when they were in school or whatnot or less than, say, 50%? When we went to school, everybody was x-rayed that walked in the door so we knew what to do with them. And now it's like, you know, unless they have some sort of red flag, they don't even x-ray them, and which just flies in the face of anybody that's ever really practiced for a long time in, in, in the profession. I mean, how many, how many different things we would have done differently because we see these, these findings on x-rays, not to mention on how many aneurysms I've caught in practice you know, because I took a lateral lumbar and AP lumbar on somebody uh, because they had just mechanical low back pain, you know, and uh, these students aren't being taught. And they, there's students that are coming out. And, of course, you know, it's their choice on what they need to do. It's just they're, they're not taught. They're, they're taught this is the only way and not to make up their own choice. And there's a lot of students coming out that are not even getting x-ray, not because they can't afford it or they're going to refer someone else, you know, refer to a hospital. They're, it's because they don't believe that it's necessary, you know, and until they come to seminars and realize, wow, I didn't know that this is what chiropractic is. It's kind of an eye opener when there's a graduated chiropractor that comes out that really sees what subluxation based doctors do that now gives them a purpose on, wow, this is amazing. What, what I'm learning here. I never heard about this in school. Well, the, the predicament that we're in and, uh, was expressed recently in a paper by, uh, uh, 
by Villanueva Russell. Yes. Von mm-hmm. Russell. And, and I just got it a couple of days ago and read it. And, and, uh, and it's from the uh, Social Science and Medicine. Um, and it's an absolutely excellent paper. And one of the, uh, the themes of, of her uh, analysis is that, uh, in essence, the everyday chiropractor, whether they're the average chiropractor or the subluxation chiropractor, whether that's the same or not the same, it doesn't matter. But the everyday average chiropractor, in essence, has been disenfranchised from the entire discussion and dialogue about the future direction of the profession. Okay, and, and she's identified the fact that you might want to call them the, the academic elitists in our profession are basically the ones that are driving the bus or trying to drive the bus, okay, in terms of the future direction. Okay, and uh, because of that, I would say, is probably the reason, uh, and the ICA has recognized that phenomena over the past few years and has decided to actively engage politically uh, the CCE, the FCLB, the NBCE, uh, some of the state associations uh, uh, were uh, going into some of the states and filing comments against some of the proposed laws, okay, that are looking to open up the profession to, uh, to drugs and, and, uh, and, and even uh, the whole concept of renaming the profession to chiropractic medicine, yep. okay, as was, was in the latest HB 127 that finally got defeated in New Mexico. Yeah. Okay, so there's a real disconnect between the average chiropractor in the office, okay, and uh, and the folks that are trying to set the agenda for the future, and uh, and I think the ICA can play an excellent role in in, in serving as a voice, uh, but we just need more chiropractors um, uh, to leave the NCA as you call it, yep. okay, and to uh, and to uh, sign up and begin participating, uh, because we're going to need as many as uh, many as we can get. Uh, out in the states, watching what's going on and getting involved. Yeah, real quick, Fred. Fred, I know you want to say something. And I want you to too. I just want to tell Steve, you read my mind with the article. I want to uh, cite the reference here, so the readers or the list—I always call them readers—the <laughs> listeners can uh, grab this. It's uh, by Ivan Villanova Russell, and it's in Social Sciences and Medicine, 2011. And it's pages one through twelve. So this this is a real uh, a real recent article that came out that Dr. Welsh is referring to. I would encourage everybody to track this down out of Social Science and Medicine, 2011. Uh, Dr. Fred, you know I just think this whole like you say it's it's everything is so open as far as its definition. You know when we look at through the history of chiropractic. And how can the general public know what chiropractic is when our own profession doesn't know what it is? I mean, I've had experience of practicing in three different states. I'm not sure, you know, Joe, you've been in Florida, and I I know you're in Nevada. I'm not sure if you guys are practicing in any other states. But I started in California where people could wave crystals and magnets over you and call it chiropractic. And then I come to Washington, which was such a straight state, especially back in the 90s where you couldn't even prescribe nutrition. I mean, there was some seriously high-volume chiropractors up here because it was so straight. And, you know, as a profession, trying to teach the general public about health and that this is the core foundation of health in your body, and we we can't even define it ourselves. I mean, dentists took 40 years to train the public. We've been at this 112 or something 
or more. And, uh, you know, we're how much further have we come in a century? Yet we're still having the same battle where we can't even define it ourselves. So how's the general public going to know? And I was always amazed practicing in California where people would come in and they'd been to six other chiropractors. And before I knew how to handle objections very well, you get to the point where you're adjusting them and they would freak out like, what was that? And you'd look at them like, that was an adjustment. And they'd been to six other chiropractors and never been adjusted. Yeah. And I didn't run into that in Washington State. So, I mean, it was such a difference. It was like being in a different country in the same profession, you know, 1,500 miles apart. So it's just, you know, it's, it's uh, surprising and not surprising that, you know, we haven't really gained much momentum yet. That's why there's a chiropractic united. You know, I put a, I put a video on YouTube the other day. <laughs> Gave a little bit of opinion of Winterstein and, and to come to uh, chiropracticunited.com to listen to these podcasts. And, you know, it's amazing how CBP is leading the research. And that's why people need to be on these podcasts. You know, you put, I mean, I was one of those people going face down in practice and not paying attention to anything. Yet, you know, the deed and this group is really this the tip of the spear on if there's any hope for the profession and the principle and an application in practice that this is really it because this is the most proof there is so as we teeter on that seesaw going back and forth yet the general public still is lost in their profession of chiropractic and their impression of chiropractic you know, where are we going right now? And if we're going to take charge, in my opinion, that's why there's Chiropractic United, is go where the research is going that actually supports the principle of chiropractic and gives you an, a support in the application of what chiropractors are doing every day in their office that aren't related to waving crystals over people, that are relating to spinal correction. And a patient should know what an adjustment is if they've been to a chiropractor, in my opinion. And that's my opinion. So, uh, Dr. Steve, with, uh, <clears throat> and I, I'm pretty sure I know what you're about to say to this, but I still want the listeners to hear it. Can you tell us directly the ICA's stance on vertebral subluxation in chiropractic? Um, I'm not even sure how to answer the question. The, uh, the vertebral subluxation and the correction of the vertebral subluxation uh, is one of the foundations that our profession is built upon. Um, I mean, that, that is, goes without saying. Okay, the, you know, the second or maybe even more important to that is the concept, okay, that the, uh, the body is an intelligent, has an intelligence uh, uh, that can, uh, without any interference, uh, can heal itself. Um, those are foundational principles of the profession. Uh, and what amazes me, okay, is uh, in that particular speech we were talking about, um, Dr. Winterstein basically suggests uh, that there's no evidence to support those uh, foundational principles, uh, which I'm absolutely flabbergasted at. Uh, because the evidence is there if you bother to look. Now, the problem is there may not be a double-blind study, okay, that proves without a doubt 
Okay, but there's certainly uh, a tremendous amount of evidence that supports uh, the theory, okay, and the premise uh, on which chiropractic is founded upon. Yeah. And it's certainly heading into the direction of, uh, of drugs and prescription rights for chiropractors. I mean, you'd have no idea when I tell some of the patients that, uh, that I've been working on uh, trying to defeat some of the efforts to prescribe drugs. They look at me and they say, what are they, crazy? Why in the world would a chiropractor want to give drugs? That's the problem. There's yep. too much of that. That's not, what, that's not what people go to chiropractors for. And, and that's coming from the patients. Yeah, I know. They come and to so us to get off it's, of them. It's, yeah, it's absolutely amazing, okay, uh, that um, anybody uh, could, could actually believe uh, that there's a credible argument that it would be beneficial for the patients if chiropractors had prescription rights for drugs. We got enough and medical. Just, yeah, we got enough medical doctors we can refer to. If the patient needs medication for for something that isn't responsive, we refer to our our peers in the medical profession. So why would we want to duplicate that? Like I said on the last podcast, and sorry to cut you off, Doc, but I mean it's like the uh, I hate to say it. I have a lot of friends that are osteopaths. My patients don't even know what a DO is. They, I mean they've gotten lost. I mean they. They really don't know what they are. They've lost their identity, and now the DOs are trying to come back to what osteopathy originally was and some of the latest research that Deed reviewed. That I mean, they're trying to get back their, their profession now, and then we have our chiropractic profession that's move, trying to move, or I should say the, the academics that are trying to move our profession away where the DOs are trying to get back into what they originally were doing back when you know, they were founded around the same time that we were. And, you know, the, the same thing about the, the whole double-blind study, you know, like Deed always says, I forget the, the citation, but there's no double-blind study to say that a parachute is effective. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know? Yeah, who's going to volunteer to be in the control group for that study? Yeah, yeah I, would, I would like to have a, a non-randomized trial where I selected <laughs> people to go in that group, Steve. Nice. So, you know, th this is great. So far, and I, I'm really enjoying this, and I'm learning a few things from you, Steve. And you, you said exactly what I anticipated you were going to say about subluxation. And just a couple quick things to remind the people out there listening and for any new listeners to this particular podcast, the PCCRP x-ray guidelines were really the ICA x-ray guidelines. In there, we did not change the definition of vertebral subluxation. What we did is we clarified the biomechanical components of spinal subluxation from a mechanical engineering point of view. And we came up with six categories, and we discussed those six categories last week, and we'll continue in future podcasts to discuss those. But those six categories of biomechanical verifiable subluxations, they are true legitimate entities. It's not an opinion. It's not a theory. They do legitimately occur. It's whether or not you want to classify them as the mechanical types of subluxation is the issue. And the ICA decided and their membership decided through a survey that that is an appropriate way to categorize the biomechanical component, component of vertebral subluxation. So the ICA is behind that. The ICA is for subluxation as far as I know. They, they agree with what we've been saying. It's the foundation and tenet of the chiropractic profession. And, you know, this is kind of a question, but a, a statement out there. 
and everybody will know what I'm about to say. The, the, the big issue, Dr. Steve, as you know it, is it's very difficult to make political change when you don't have enough membership. So, number one, what's, what's the ICA membership right now in terms of uh, the, the United States and then profession-wide? Uh, part of the difficulty, and I don't care whether you're discussing the ACA membership or the ICA membership, a lot of that depends upon, well, what do you count? Do you count the, the, the field doctors? Do you count the students? Do you, you, know, do you count the, uh, uh, the uh, let me put it in general terms. Uh, as a participant in the WCA, I mean uh, the WFC, the World Federation of Chiropractic, uh, the ICA pays dues on its uh, active uh, members, and the ACA pays dues on their active members. Um, and, uh, and the last count, the ratio between the two associations was roughly two to one. Um, and I'd say four or five years ago, it was closer to three to one. Um, now, unfortunately, both organizations um, have been um, losing because of the hard economic times of the past three years, there's been some decline in membership. Uh, although uh, because of those ratio changes, I would uh, suggest that the decline in membership at the ICA has been uh, a lot milder uh, uh, than uh, some of the other organizations. Um, actually, there was one year, um, I think it was two years ago, where the ICA actually, uh, when it reported its membership statistics to the uh, World Federation of Chiropractic, we had actually increased our membership and uh, we were one of the only ones uh, in the in the federation that had uh, so so that's in, in in general terms um, the fact of the matter is there's too many doctors that don't belong to either the ACA mm -hmm. or the ICA uh, they're not connected they're not aware they don't know what's going on and and the biggest concern I have uh, is just that they're disenfranchised um, part of the problem in my assessment, this is my personal view, okay, is that for too many years, uh, we as a profession have allowed the extremists to define the debate, okay? And, and I'm still hearing when I get into a, into a discussion and I introduce myself, I'm with the ICA, and somebody looks at me a little cross-eyed and said, okay, well, uh, you know, I don't believe in all this straight chiropractic stuff and uh, yada, yada, yada. And um, I'm tired of listening to the old straight mixer debate. Yep. I have a single question, and, and, and I guess I'm, for the past five or six years, I've been trying to reframe some of the arguments, and I'm trying to, uh, to, to make uh, uh, the umbrella a little bit bigger for the average chiropractor. And my, my question is real simple. Okay, do you adjust your patients to correct the subluxation, yes or no? And if the answer is yes, then we're brothers. We're in it together. Now, whether I only adjust, okay, and I don't use certain uh, more broader uh, treatment uh, modalities that are available or not is immaterial to me. Okay, I'm not going to look down at my nose at somebody who's adjusting their patients, except maybe if they say, well, I adjust my patients and I want to do prescription drugs. Okay, to me, that's, uh, that's an oxymoron. That crosses the line. Okay, but I really believe 90% of this profession adjusts their patients to correct subluxation, and I believe it's less than 10%, okay, that walk around saying you have to be evidence-based and there's no evidence for subluxation and we need to 
not only reject the word, but we need to reject the premise and the actual foundational tenets that our, our profession has been built upon. So we need to get that 90% of the profession, that, solid, that silent majority, okay, to begin working together and standing up to this minority, okay, that's trying to advance this chiropractic medicine agenda. You know, and it's really interesting. If you go to their webpage, uh, it's the American Academy of Chiropractic Physicians. They were founded in 1999. Uh, they have, you know how you have a look up a doc page? Okay, yeah. You can go and you can count the number of members that they have. It's like 56. Mm -hmm. Okay, and yet in, in that membership, you'll see some of the names of the prominent people that are trying to advance this chiropractic medicine agenda. And they recently redesigned their website, and part of their motto has now become not only integration, okay, but medicalization. Yeah. So, so they're, they're, not, they're not hiding the fact that their agenda, okay, is to basically move our profession into the medical model, okay, and they consider, in my viewpoint, again, this is my personal opinion, they seem to be considering chiropractic as nothing more than an allopathic treatment model, okay, to address treating disease uh, in a slightly different manner. Uh, and to me, that's not chiropractic. Yeah. Yep. So... You know, the, the big issue for the listeners out there, and I know this is kind of what you were saying, Steve, but I'll be a little more direct, is the ICA can't do as much as they could be doing without the support of you, the audience out there. If you want to make a difference, join groups that are trying to make a difference. Yes, you have to pay a small amount of money per year in into the organization, but for that, You've got somebody that knows what they're doing from a political point of view, a, a, a resource point of view, and a, a strong stance point of view to get up and, and speak your concerns and speak for you through through the organization. And so joining the ICA and making the membership stronger means that there's more money to get the job done, more money to pay lobbyists uh, to, to go and actively pursue the particular uh, ideas and, and tenets of the ICA, uh, and this is no, you know what happened in New Mexico. The reason that that uh, bill got got defeated is largely because of organizations like the ICA speaking on behalf of the of their membership. And the only way they could get a lobbyist is by uh, membership dues. And if you don't want to pay per year, occasionally they do a lifetime membership. I don't know if you're still doing it. But uh, just don't get drunk at their annual banquet and then do the lifetime membership because you'll end up paying $1,000 more than you would actually pay if you didn't do that. And I'm not speaking from experience. <laughs> now, of what's, course. Yeah, uh, Doc, now what, what's the easiest way? If someone wants to join right now, do they just go to chiropractic.org? And is there a membership uh, where they can join right online? Yeah, there, there's a, there is a tab. And you can click on the tab for membership, and you can apply online. Absolutely. Okay, good. It's actually quite easy. You know, one of the, one of the things that uh, uh, I may want to review for you, because not too many people realize it, uh, and is how did the ICA even uh, get onto the New Mexico situation? When did they get involved? Uh, and actually, I was I was kind of a party to that whole process, and uh, and it all started back in two thousand and nine, believe it or not. And it started when I just happened to have a habit of surfing the Internet every once in a while on chiropractic-related subjects. And I happened to stumble across a press release 
uh, from the ACA from the House of Delegate meeting uh, in the fall of 2009. And buried in that press release was this phrase, that they had passed a resolution supporting the National Board of Chiropractic Examiners' plan to create certification for an expanded practice chiropractic physician. Okay, and I read that and I said, boy, that sounds kind of strange. Don't tell me the National Board of Chiropractic Examiners is going to create this new test for something that I'm not sure I even understand what expanded practice is. And so I sent an email off to uh, uh, the National Board, and, uh, and I got a response from, uh, from Mr. Horace Elliott, the executive vice president, and he basically said, told me, he says, that's very misleading and that's not true. He said, the National Board has no current plans to develop any such test. Now, he says, we have been requested to explore that possibility to support the new law in New Mexico. And I said, there's a new law in New Mexico. And so I went and I looked up the, uh, the, the recent legislation that was passed to New Mexico. And voila, here was this legislation that uh, created a chiropractic formulary and, uh, and, uh, and was given prescription rights uh, to the advanced practice chiropractors uh, on condition that they had approval from the medical board and the pharmacy board for what was put in the formulary. And, and it was obvious what direction they were heading down. And so at the time, I was the president of the Georgia Council of Chiropractic, and every Monday morning I send out a Monday morning message. And this was uh, the Halloween weekend. Okay, so my Monday morning message was a, was a picture of a kid in a, in, a, uh, in, a, in a ghost costume. And I said, uh, what a scary thought. The New Mexico folks wanted to prescribe drugs. And then I uh, quoted the, um, uh, uh, or provided a link to the press release from the ACA. Uh, well, needless to say, that got circulated uh, a lot further than just the docs here in Georgia. And the next thing you know, I was getting flooded with emails from uh, doctors in New Mexico uh, explaining what was really going on. And some of, I mean, some of the logic, uh, it kind of baffled me, but it became evident that some of them were kind of sincere and they really thought this was the right thing to do. Now, initially, the law was for natural substances, uh, but it also was pending approval of the medical board, which they couldn't get. So the ink wasn't dry from the 2008 law, and they passed another law in 2009 that kind of modified it, okay? And, uh, and, uh, but they still couldn't get approval of the medical board. And what a lot, of, a lot of people don't know to this day, okay, is that while the Board of Examiners has actually issued a formulary providing uh, injecting uh, uh, the rights to inject um, homeopathic remedies, which I find kind of amazing from what I understand of homeopathics. I don't understand why you need to inject them, but that's, that's another whole issue. Uh, and I kind of wonder what kind of evidence there exists to support injecting homeopathic remedies, but I'm not even going to go there uh, on this call. Okay, but, but the bottom line is the medical board never approved it. Okay, to this day, the medical board, to my knowledge, has never approved injectables. Uh, and, uh, and yet the, uh, uh, the board of examiners out there currently has that in the formula. Mm. Uh, so, so I guess New Mexico is the Wild West, 
Yeah. Okay. And and the other interesting part is, and I brought this to the attention of several of the the folks at the FCLB meeting a couple of uh, weeks ago, is if you go to the national, if you go to the webpage of the New Mexico Board of Chiropractic Examiners, uh, they have a member sitting in a public position on that board in direct violation of the statute. And not only is it a member, it is one of the key members that has been promoting, okay, the, the, the pro-drug prescription rights movement. Okay, so I scratch my head and I say, wait a minute. Okay, doesn't the law mean anything in New Mexico? Right. Okay, okay isn't anybody holding some of these folks accountable to be responsible to even uh, abide by their own laws? It just raises some kind of interesting questions. Well, it raises yeah. some questions. And, I mean, anybody with any common sense would look at this and say, okay, who has a financial gain to serve uh, by putting this agenda forward? And it's quite evident to see, well, suddenly if we have a tiered profession, who benefits from teaching uh, this new tiered advanced doctor degree? I mean, and you soon realize if you follow, follow the money, <laughs> it's pretty obvious you know, that it's, it's just people have their heads buried in the sand. You know, I mean, who stands to gain from this? And, you know, it's the schools that support it, of course. So they're going to have those degrees that they're going to offer. You know, so money's going to start coming in. Money's going to start coming into, you know, for the testing of this. Because everybody, you know, you're not going to want to be a second-class chiropractor. You have to sit for this new board. And so who's going to gain the money on that? You know, and it's just, it's pretty obvious from a layperson standpoint, you know, why some of this is being put forward. And, I agree with you. I think there's some people out there that really, truly believe that it's the right thing, and in their hearts they believe it's the right thing. But if you take a, step, a few steps back, uh, you know, it's quite obvious, at least in my opinion, that it's just a far cry from what the real profession has as a tenant of chiropractic. Yeah, you know, what you said earlier, Steve, part of our, our group here, Chiropractic United, is, is business management and when he said some of the profession out there is under a financial squeeze right now in today's economy and and uh, they can't pay their dues to the ICA and then some of the the professionals uh, the profession out there that may want prescription drugs right may actually be a financial motivation so what we're doing is is we're trying to give chiropractors some some great savvy business uh, organization tips and and skills and 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 how to actually do proper chiropractic and corrective type of techniques and get paid for what you do too. And this is Dr. Fred's arena. This is what he does uh, for our profession and for CBP with elite coaching. So Dr. Fred, your thoughts on that? Well, I'm just writing an ebook. I'm just finishing it up. It's 10 reasons why people are leaving, why your patients are leaving your office. And the 10th reason is because you're not delivering tangible corrective care. And that's kind of, I mean, I've only really made one comment this whole time. And that is we haven't really defined the profession. And so doctors that are out there that can't provide something tangible, like how about an application to the original principle of chiropractic, a pre and post x-ray, you know, people have to know what they're buying. And the problem is the there's so much latitude in the delivery of what people call, you know, quote, unquote, chiropractic, end quote, you know, that whatever that could be, 
that do patients really know what they're buying? And of course, if you can't communicate, if you don't even know what it is, then how will a patient have any confidence to be under your care? And, and once they're past pain, what's their motivation? So in all those 10 reasons that I wrote, the basis is spinal correction because it's something that people can see. And every year, the American population spends more money out of pocket for, for health that insurance does not cover. So they're willing to spend money. They just don't know that chiropractors are delivering it. And, it, you know, it comes back to the same thing and why we're all on here, that if those chiropractors that were struggling had something that was solid, they had a foundation that they could stand on, a footing that they can communicate with and provide something that a patient can grab onto, then they probably wouldn't have the financial problems they do. And then they're searching through the darkness, blinded, thinking that this is an answer because they're walking in the dark. And they're, they're grabbing on to the first thing that they can touch. And in reality, you know, it's, uh, it's the antithesis of what's going to get them where they really want to go to have any success or even fulfillment, you know, as a doctor and a chiropractor. Because they're just getting into the same model. I mean, half the reason, D and Joe, you know this, people come to CBP because they're tired of patients coming and going when their pain's gone. There's no stability in that. There's no foundation in a practice in that. So when you can deliver something that's bigger than just whether or not their back hurts, and we know that every problem is always a full spine problem, you know, and, they, and, they, and your patient has something that they can get grounded to, you know, you have to be an anchor that they can attach to. If you're not grounded, how can you ever be a leader for anybody else? You can't lead them when you're not grounded. So they're just reaching in the dark, and this is the first thing. Maybe they have good intentions, but they're more or less getting smacked in the head by something and then grabbing, hey, what just hit me in the head? And that's what they're grabbing onto when reality you know, that's just going to bury them. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Dr. Steve, as we uh, get close to wrap it up here, um, and time always goes by so fast when we have great people on like yourself and, and good chats going on. Uh, and maybe we can do another uh, podcast in the future for our, our audience here. But I, I have one more uh, question for you. I, I don't know if uh, you're aware of this. I know the ICA is an international organization, and they do represent uh, membership from all around the world. Uh, I just received last week something from the UK that's really, uh, from what I can gather, uh, coming out of uh, Europe and the European Chiropractic Union. It, it's a new draft um, proposal for regulations and standards of practice in the UK and Europe, and, and this particular one I received is um, for the UK. And it says private circulation, so I got a bootleg copy. I won't say who I got it from, but apparently I wasn't supposed to get an early copy of this. But uh, it's called the Draft BS uh, EN 16224 Healthcare Provision by Chiropractors. And some of the, the major problems with this, it covers scope and standard of practice, uh, but there's some uh, specific wording and sections in here that, are, are really problematic. For example, on uh, page 29 of this draft, uh, section B.4 under health and safety, 
It says uh, the chiropractor shall comply with legislation uh, regarding um, ionizing radiation. And in particular, the chiropractor shall not employ any technique or practice that requires the use of x-rays. So, I mean, this right now is going to, the way it's worded, will limit certain name techniques and, stand, and practice standards that the individual chiropractor would like to do. And then they go in and, and they have a section B.4.1 uh, B. on evidence-based care. And this particular area might be um, important for the ICA to get involved where it says this, the services provided by the chiropractor shall be consistent with evidence-based care. And item C says recommendations from appropriate national and or international clinical guidelines within the neuromusculoskeletal area shall be incorporated in the clinical procedures. So this is where the, the ICA best practices might come into play here. So my question number one is, are you aware of this issue going on in the UK and Europe right now? Well, I, I know there's been some issues in the UK um, uh, the particular document that uh, somebody pirated to you that you shouldn't have, uh, no one has pirated that to me, so I haven't seen it yet. Um, uh, but I, I certainly am aware of uh, of some of the issues that have been going on in Great Britain uh, from the, that are derivative of the Simon Singh case, uh, which, contrary to what a lot of people have heard in this country, actually didn't have that much to do with chiropractic. It had to do with some archaic uh, libel laws okay, that were being challenged. Um, and the chiropractic just happened to be the, uh, the ones that, uh, that kind of stepped into the problem uh, by uh, filing a libel lawsuit when that probably wasn't a very wise thing to do. Yeah. Um, uh, so I am aware of some of the problems. And, and uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, any regulation uh, that uh, stipulates that uh, clinical practice needs to be evidence-based I'm all for that. The ICA is all for that. That's why we have our uh, ICA best practices in our x-ray guidelines. Uh, the problem is, okay, is that the evidence base has been misinterpreted by uh, too many uh, of those chiropractic elitists that have their own agenda. Okay, and on one hand, uh, they limit the amount of evidence that they want to consider appropriate. Okay, and then in many respects, they refuse to hold themselves to the same standard that they criticize the subluxation chiropractors. Okay, so if you really get down to it, there's a lot of evidence to support uh, the traditional chiropractic, the subluxation chiropractic, and what I consider the 90% majority of chiropractic and what they do in clinical practice. The evidence is there. Okay, it may not be, as I said before, it may not be a double-blind study, but the evidence is there, and, uh, and we shouldn't be concerned about any, 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 uh, any laws or regulations that say you need to provide the evidence to support what you do. I believe the evidence is there. Yeah, I, I think what I'll do is I'll pirate this copy to you, and uh, I spoke with the UCA, the United Chiropractic Association, well, this past weekend, I was in London. They're aware of this document, and it's open for uh, professional comment right now. And I, I told them that we need to use uh, parts of the ICA best practices based on their Section 4, uh, B4.1, uh, where it talks about national organizations' guidelines. So I think the ICA, I, I know we have a, uh, a clinical guideline committee, and I think that uh, I'm sure Dr. Joe Betts is on there, and uh, 
maybe what I can do is get this in the hands of yourself and, and Dr. Joe Betts. And, and uh, I know you know the UCA, but I can put you in direct contact with the people that I was discussing with. And maybe there's something the ICA can help them with in terms of their uh, comment and, uh, and critique of this pr uh, particular document. Because it will limit the, uh, if it gets adopted, it'll limit the scope of practice over there in the UK. And of course, it's already being limited, as we know. Uh, so I'll do that. On a, okay. on a uh, uh, final note, before I go, I usually go through a couple research articles at the end. Uh, Dr. Fred or Dr. Joe, comments? No, I mean, it's just um, when you're saying that the, the limit that there's no technique uh, based on, you know, x-ray utilization, um, to my knowledge, uh, you know, all schools, I mean, teach at least x-ray in a form of, I mean, don't most schools teach at least a basic Gonstead analysis? And which uh, was derived off of X-ray, maybe not in the European and the the UK colleges. There's there's one or two that that do, but uh, uh, like for example the Anglo-European and and such like that. There they wouldn't be teaching those um, types of things. Yeah, I mean it's just a it's just crazy that it's even called chiropractic if they remove that. I mean, but uh, that's you know everything that we just talked about. So. Um, I, I think it's important that we get this, this information out, and I wouldn't uh, find it offensive if somehow somebody on a fake uh, Facebook page somehow leaked out that document. You know, Right. I, yeah, well, it, it certainly wouldn't be from me. Yeah, it's not going to be from me either. But, uh, you know, somebody over there needs to leak it out or put it on WikiLeaks or something like that where the pro whole profession over on that side can – can you know see the document as it as it's written because probably a majority of the people obviously again will have their head in the sand won't even know until it's too late right and i hope that somebody does do what you've uh, suggested joe yeah it definitely won't be me they can we can track the ip addresses it won't be anybody for it won't be me yeah. but uh but you know somebody should do it definitely dr fred well, I think I, I don't really know if I have that much to say other than, you know, just by universal law, the truth always prevails. You know, it's persistence and consistency and leaders like you guys and Dr. Steve that, you know, you're warriors and, uh, you know, people need to get out there and back you up. There just there just needs to be more troops. So. So that's what it is. That's why we're here to inspire troops. So I appreciate all the listeners that hopefully this will spark something to, uh, I know I'm going to take care of my membership. I'm sorry I let it lapse when I was out of practice, but certainly this is uh, more than enough motivation to support financially and continue to make donations. So I certainly make that commitment and I hope that the listeners out there take responsibility for all the efforts and, and the blood and sweat that it's taken to pave the roads that they're driving on. And uh, it looks like there could be potential for that road to go flying off a cliff. So uh, we have choice in this matter. And uh, hopefully that the listeners out there will find this empowering and inspirational to uh, really teach and uh, make some take some political action yep, to and that promote the truth. And that's chiropractic.org is the website everybody should go to if they're not an ICA member. Yes. And uh, Dr. Steve, any final thoughts on uh, tonight's talk? 
no, and like I said, on behalf of the uh, the ICA, I'd just like to uh, thank you for inviting me to participate on your show. And uh, and at some point in time in the future, uh, there's some uh, other hot topics and issues. Uh, we probably could have talked for a couple of more hours on some of the things that are going on in the profession. Uh, and I'd certainly uh, enjoy the opportunity to join you again. It's been a uh, wonderful experience, and, uh, um, and uh, I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Yes, we, I think we all did. Uh, Dr. Fred and Dr. Joe would agree with that. Absolutely. Thank you. And really what we'd like to say to the ICA is if there's ever a pressing topic that you want to get out uh, really quick through a venue like this, we're happy to, uh, to be a voice and a, and a, and a uh, platform to, to get that done. And like I said, we do this weekly, so uh, we're, we're able to throw that in and we could squeeze another one in. A lot of our listeners like to uh, listen to these things as they're traveling or working out. I don't know who would want to listen to us working out, but <laughs> some, some people do. Uh, the articles I'd, I'd like to go through tonight just really quickly for the audience is uh, something I gave considerable thought to as I knew uh, Dr. Steve was going to be here from the ICA, and I, I knew what we had talked about uh, last week on subluxation. And it's a series of articles that my group did uh, over uh, 11 years ago now in uh, GMPT. We did a three-part series on biomechanics of the central nervous system as it relates to spinal canal and spine positions and postural abnormalities that we would have in patient populations. This is a three-part series. It started in uh, JMPT, May 1999, volume 22, number four through number six. So it goes May and then June, July, and then August. June, July was lumped together in one issue. Uh, this particular three-part series, when uh, Dr. Matt McCoy uh, from the CCP and from the JVSR, and he's an instructor at Life University. He's a faculty member there. When Matt McCoy read this three-part series, he sent me a very nice email, and he told me that in his opinion, this three-part series rates in the top 10 articles of all time for chiropractic subluxation and nerve interference theories. Uh, I would encourage all the listeners out there to pick up this three-part uh, series of articles because it goes through how abnormal segmental and global spine positions affect the stress, which is the force per unit area, and the strain, which is deformation, on the neural tissues. The long story short, if you read the three-part article, uh, what you'll find out is that no matter what posture, no matter what segment of the spine you, you discuss, each displacement as a rotation or a translation transmits loads, stresses and strains to the neural tissue. Those loads increase the internal pressure inside the neural tissue. That internal pressure impairs the exchange of oxygen and nutrients to and from the neural tissue. It's called the pressure of perfusion. There's actually equations that dictate that for any increase in pressure inside the nerve, that there will be a, a consequent drop in the pressure of perfusion. And what we find out is you get an impaired oxidative phosphorylation out of the mitochondria of the neuron. So you get a reduction of ATP production from ADP. And from all you biochemists out there, that's the only damn thing I remember from biochemistry is the Krebs cycle. So when you impair ATP, you impair 
all types of function. Everything uses energy from ATP, from neurotransmitter production to cytoplasmic transport to action potentials, you name it. It's controlled by ATP. So when we have a model in chiropractic where abnormal spinal positions, a.k.a. subluxation, affect the stress and strain on the nerves, which impair the function of the nerve, this is incredible for our profession. And all these things have been measured. There's some great data, even back in the 1990s, establishing that changes in the spine can affect the function of the nervous system. And that's the essence of chiropractic philosophy and subluxation tenets. Subluxation causes nerve interference. So spinal cord biomechanics, three-part series. Hopefully all the readers out there or the listeners out there will pick up uh, that series of articles and, and read through them. Uh, it's, a, it's a great series. So that's the article for, or the articles for the week. Uh, to all the listeners out there, uh, hopefully you, you enjoy this uh, particular podcast as much as, as all the participants uh, have enjoyed it. On behalf of Chiropractic United and the ICA, we uh, thank you for your listening and thank you for your time. So in closing, anything else, Dr. Fred or Dr. Joe? No, I think another great podcast. Yeah, it was. I would. My only uh, advice would be for all the intellectuals: you probably don't want to talk about ATP and mitochondria and nerves in your report of findings. By the way, just you know, keep it simple. Yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> probably a good practice tip, Fred. But uh, <laughs> our practitioners need to know it. <laughs> yeah, some of them do. Yeah. Okay, gentlemen. Uh, thank you for the participation. I enjoyed it. Uh, we're going to sign off now. I've got my dinner waiting for me. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks. Have guys. a great night. All right. Thanks. Really Thank you. Steve.